Welcome to PointCast Public Forum. We are here today at Irvington Vinyl and Bookstore in the Irvington area of Indianapolis. We'd like to thank the store owner and proprietor, Alicia Smith, for hosting us today. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your community. We really appreciate it. Today we are talking about sex trafficking. We have two guests here to help us understand what it is, how it starts, how badly it really is, and how we can help reduce the number of people, primarily children, from being victims of it. So let's begin. Our guests today are Jonathan Young, who is the coordinator, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of a home where former victims can come and start to get their lives on track. And Katie Roach, author and speaker on this very subject and a survivor of sex trafficking yourself. So let's just jump right in and either of you can contribute to these questions as I go through them. Um, now, before we get started, what exactly is sex trafficking? And both of you can chime in. Yeah, I mean, you so have to hold your mic up if you could. I don't think it's on. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, human trafficking is is basically um, the exploitation of indi individuals um, for sex, labor. Um, Child marriage, all of those are, well, I mean, those are trafficking in general, but sex trafficking particularly, um, you, there does have to be force, fraud, and coercion for adults. Um, force, fraud, and coercion. Yes, and so basically, I mean, there there's a difference between somebody who is, you know, who who is a sex worker who chooses to be a sex worker versus okay. someone who's been trafficked. A person who is sex trafficked is traded um, for money or something of value, um, so commercially exploited. All right, so we shouldn't just put everybody in that same category. Right. Okay. Right. So, so when it comes to trafficking, there has to be force, fraud, or coercion in order okay. for that to be considered gotcha. trafficking. Gotcha. However, when you're looking at a minor, you do not have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. So, really? Yes. Yeah, so any form of commercial sexual exploitation for uh, minors mm -hmm. is, uh, under the federal definition, is considered trafficking. Okay. Um, so... Sex trafficking appears to be growing here, particularly in Indiana. If that's the case and you don't have to prove that for children, why is it so difficult then to prosecute these cases in your opinions? I think one reason that it's difficult is that not all cases are reported. Um, there, there's not a lot of information that is recent. Mm -hmm. um, mainly the information that I found has been from 2015 at the oh. earliest. Wow. Um, at the latest, have you found anything? Um, yeah, I mean, so there, there are different statistics uh, depending on, who, you know, where you're looking. Right. Um, I know that as far as prosecutions, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to get a prosecution because most often they're looking for the testimony of the victim. And a lot of times that isn't possible for a lot of reasons. They may be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, it may be unsafe for them, mm -hmm. um, you know, and... Uh, a lot of people who come out of that are have experienced severe trauma and it, it is re-traumatizing to go before you know a judge um, and have to recount and to that be, and to be questioned over all of those things and whether or not it was your fault you know there's there's a lot of criminalization of victims that takes place okay. um and we'll i'm sure we'll get more yeah into we're going to get into that because i definitely want to talk about the criminalization of the victims of sex trafficking but before we do jonathan i want to i want you to tell us about the people you serve and where do you meet them in the process where do you connect with them to help them how do they find you and get plugged into the services that you provide 
Well, usually um, at Stopover, we take uh, referrals from anyone, any okay. source, any agency. So they may come through us, to us through an agency, um, or they may just come to us because they've researched how they could find shelter for themselves. So they find mm -hmm. themselves in a homeless situation or find themselves wanting to get out of the trafficking situation. Mm -hmm. um, being the safe place coordinator for Marion Hamilton and Hamilton and Tipton counties, I can encounter youth at any of our safe place locations. Um, so it's a, a multitude of ways that they come to us. Mm -hmm. uh, they can come mm -hmm. to us on, our, on their so own. So it's totally voluntary. There's no court stipulation or no court order. No, with stopovers, uh, stopovers rule is that we are safe, voluntary, and free. Okay. So the, the youth has to volunteer to be there. If the parent is involved in that youth life, the parent has to has to uh, agree for them to be there as well. If any party says no, we cannot force them to stay in our housing. How long do they have in your home to, um, to kind of get to where they need to be? How much time do you give them? In our emergency shelter, they have up to 21 days to stay. And in our transitional living home, they can stay for up to a year and a half. Okay. Um, after that year and a half, then they, we feel that they should be ready to be out on their own. Um, if they need more time than that, then what we can do is bring them back in. Um, we would have to exit them and bring them back in and start the process over as long as they're not out of the age range for our shelter. And what is the age range of service? For, the, for our emergency shelter, the age range is 12 to 17. And in our transitional living home, the age range is 18 to 21. Is this mixed living, boys and girls yes. and all of that? So both houses are co-ed. Yes. Both, both houses are co-ed. Mm -hmm. Okay, and how many do you have in each house? Uh, we can house eight in transitional living and up to six in emergency shelter. Katie, I know, uh, like Jonathan, you work to educate people about this issue. But if you don't mind, I'd like to learn more about how this sort of abuse began in your life. How old, or do you remember how old you were when this began? Um, yeah, so I think it's important to, um, you know, point out with, as with most sex trafficking victims, uh, there usually is prior victimization before that. There's usually early childhood trauma that makes a person vulnerable mm. um, to, to being trafficked. And so, um, you know, I can certainly say, you know, that's often called the grooming process, which mm -hmm. is where, mm -hmm. you know, a, a person kind of gets broken down, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and really groomed to uh, to be trafficked and and sometimes and most of the time not even realize what is going on right um so so that that part you know took place um early in my life but the trafficking went until i was about 16 years old and it began when um oh. so that's very blurry that's um, blurry. as i mentioned before You're because young. of okay. um you know when it officially became trafficking i mean that's when it becomes commercial I and so you, you know you. that is a blurry line for me but gotcha. um you know abuse but started until you when were 16 years old. years old from about 8 to 16 yep. years yeah wow wow what is the mentality help us to understand the mentality that perhaps an eight-year-old victim of sex abuse might have what are you kids are usually imagining playing games or wanting to see a show that they like or what is you, what is the mentality that you recall having from that point from being an eight-year-old all the way up to 16 um so again i mean i think that when it comes to 
memory and severe trauma mm-hmm. and you're not looking at a single rape you're looking at a very consistent um you know over and over again and when that takes place people generally um they dissociate and which is That's you know okay. remove yourself entirely from the situation so okay. your body's still there your mind kind of takes a step back and so um that is it's very much a numbing that takes place Got so it. you yeah. know Okay. It's hard to say, you know, mm-hmm, during those mm-hmm. times, because obviously that's a, a very traumatizing experience. And right. I know that, um, you know, I spent majority of my childhood just dissociated from my everyday life. Did you ever tell anyone about your abuse, your parents or? Um, yeah, I told a lot of people. <laughs> you told a lot of people. And were you just not believed? Um, yeah, I think people don't want to believe the truth. And I think that it's it depends on you know what every person's situation is but mm-hmm. you know my trafficking took place through someone who married within our family and so no one is looking for parents or family members to be abusing their children or expecting them to be trafficking their children so it's not like people right. are really looking or noticing when the public idea of what trafficking is is very much a very different story um mm-hmm. you know your Elizabeth Smart type stuff, which is not generally what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you think that had something to do perhaps with people not believing you that d- it just didn't fit the context of your family's, the picture of your I family? Mean, no, because I wasn't a child saying, hey, I was sex trafficked. I mean, majority of victims do not know that they're being trafficked. They don't know the terminology. No. Course, and, yeah. they, and, and even, you know, now that it is being talked out right. about a lot more it generally takes people years to come to terms with their victimization. They don't generally leave saying, oh, it was trafficked, especially when there are relationships being built intentionally to groom those people. Mm -hmm. So it can take a really long time for people to open up about what's going on. And just like I'm sure a lot of, of sexual assault victims, you tell one person and they tell you to be quiet or you tell one person and they don't believe you. And you generally don't want to trust again. That's a very... So you were slowly being shut down. Yeah, basically. Um, Jonathan, help us understand because you you deal with kids who are coming through the situation who might have been like KD was at that period when she was between the ages of 8 or 16. Um, Some kids don't tell. And how have you dealt with, I mean, they're coming to you at different phases of their healing, perhaps. How have you dealt with kids that are at different phases or might have told what has that been like, particularly if there's family involved in their trauma? Um, well, we use our training in trauma-informed care to deal with kids when they when they express those issues to us. Um, it's very delicate handling. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be very careful about what you say and how you say these, whatever it is that you're saying. Mm-hmm. And mainly listen to that person and let them tell you everything. What I've learned in my experience is if you just be quiet, they'll tell you everything. Mm -hmm. If you just listen and show them that you're paying attention, they will tell you everything. And and so my answer to that is just to listen to that youth and and provide them the resources that they're ready for. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't try to force them into telling somebody else or going to this group today or any of those things. Offer them the resources and let them take them when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's the best thing. When you force a, a youth into going to see this therapist or doing this or doing that, then they're going to rebel in another kind of way if that's not what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you're making them do that. Mm-hmm. So I would say just listen, support, and provide resources. How do you help families 
uh, if you all go that far in your services. And, and Katie, feel free to chime in because I'm sure you've talked to families as well. But how do you equip families with uh, the language necessary to engage children who have been abused in a helpful way? Because sometimes we can say things that might shut someone down and not realize it, right? It can come off as, well, why didn't you say something? Well, yeah. why didn't you tell me before? Why did you wait so long? Those and and that's things. something that the trauma-informed care training really mm -hmm. comes in handy with because, as I said before, you have to be mindful of what you say and how you say it. Very often, those kind of terms can come out as you're blaming that person. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you say something? So that's saying to them that that's your fault that nobody knew about it because you didn't say anything. But when in reality, it's not the victim's fault that nobody knew. Um, so I think just being very careful and we offer uh, counseling to every family that comes through stopover. Do you real, could you talk a little bit about what that counseling entails? Well, that counseling entails just any kind of, um, engagement with the youth and the parent mm -hmm. at the same time by our, our, uh, program manager. Mm -hmm. She, she handles all the counseling, um, so that could look like a meeting at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. That could look like you coming to the shelter where the child is and we all just sit down around the table and have a talk. Mm -hmm. um, it could look like a private session in a closed door mm -hmm. atmosphere with Courtney, our program director. Mm -hmm. um, depending on the comfortability and the needs mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. of the youth and the family. Mm -hmm. So it could look very different. We meet them where they are. You meet them where they so are. So wherever they are, if they tell us they want to meet at the library, we're coming to the library. Okay. So um, that's that's really how that looks. And, and we want to provide ongoing counseling. Once the youth leaves our shelter, that doesn't mean that our counseling will stop. Okay. You can still come back to us and talk. Okay. We also will provide them with resources um, outside of stopover so that if they do need help outside of what we can offer, then we do have resources as well for them. One of the interviews that I've done recently exposed to me the uh, growing nature of children being abused through their family lines, similar to yours, Katie, not necessarily uh, by their parents, uh, other than their parents' lack of understanding or listening to them, but by family members, uh, friends of the family, someone close to the family. Uh, having access to them and oftentimes there's this stereotype that children are taken by a stranger So I want to kind of understand that family dynamic a bit more because in fact I would say 97% of the people I've talked to it's been through familiar ties Okay, so how do you begin to approach? helping someone heal when it's someone in their family and the family may or may not be ready to take that journey with them any, either of you can jump in there. I think just, once again, giving them the opportunity to speak. And um, it's really hard when it's a family member. And very often, it's mm -hmm. somebody close to that person because that trust is already there. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to manipulate somebody who trusts you. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? Um, yeah, so I will talk about the family piece, but first I do want to say too, there are a lot of other types of trafficking and family trafficking definitely is probably the most underreported. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, there's a lot of people who are groomed by an older boyfriend or something like that too. So those are very, very common. Yes, scenarios. that is very uh, common. So I, I just didn't want to leave that out. So right, I just want to well, bring that. Let's talk about that. I'd like to have your response and then I want to go into 
those other relationships that set people up for abuse. So if you had a response to the previous question, that's fine. But if you wanted to go right to, into the next topic, that's fine as well. Yeah. Um, so, so as I, I sort of mentioned the grooming process, that takes place in all types of trafficking and it looks different in each type so i think for a person who is trafficked maybe by an older boyfriend which we would call a trafficker but in the moment um generally because of that grooming because of that you know um, uh, an older man you know taking care of her uh, buying her things making her feel good telling her he loves her doing all these you know special things until there's this real trust built and bond and already separation from friends and things like that as this you know, as they might be just kind of consumed with this new relationship. Mm -hmm. And those are all very intentional tactics um, to get someone in a place of, you know, kind of codependence. And so mm -hmm. that often is something that you'll see beforehand. And as I mentioned, you know, there usually is childhood trauma that exists also that already makes that person vulnerable. That was something I'm sorry to jump in there, but that was something that I was curious about because one young lady felt like a continuous victim because she was molested by different people throughout her life and trafficked by a couple of folks and not realizing that there was some early childhood trauma or some grooming that had taken place because we don't understand really what grooming is. So could either of you speak to uh, some sort of definition of what grooming is and what that's like and, and what that might do to kind of set someone up for abuse? Um, well, grooming is really an, a, a term for gaining trust. You're gaining that person's trust. You're doing all the things that they that you see that they need. Let's say a young person tells you that they don't uh, they don't get love from their father. So as a groomer or a, a trafficker, I'm going to give you that fatherly love that you that you'd express that you lack, mm -hmm. and that's a way of gaining that trust and building something where um, I can have a a type of control over you mm -hmm. or or be able to provide something that you don't have right, and, right. and a young lady that I had helped who had been trafficked before um, the guy told her that she was pretty mm. and that was all it took that was that was all it took to get her mm -hmm. attention mm. but once he got her attention he played on all the things that that she told him like mm -hmm. her mother didn't think that she was good enough so she would tell him, I mean, he would tell her that she was amazing, that she was the most beautiful, that she could do this and she could do that. Mm. She would, he would just build her up. And once he had her built up, he could put her out on the street. Well, why don't you go make this money for daddy? You're mm. so good. You can do everything. I know you can get this money. You know, so that was a, a way that he groomed her. How do you work with someone who starts to receive that in a, in a positive way for them? You had mentioned, Jonathan, a story of someone who actually ran away from your care um, and you couldn't go after her. Uh, was that similar to the type of situation that you're describing? Yes. Um, we were we were in the process of, of building this young lady up from her being torn down from this trafficking. And um, she just decided that she wanted to leave, that she she saw the track. She knew where the track was. She knew she could make some money. At this time, she was 17 years old. Um, she ran from the shelter. We actually, uh, one of our employees got in the car, went and found her in a parking lot. She made a big, big scene. Mm -hmm. So in order for him, because it was a male who went 
chasing after her. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, our shelter is voluntary. Oh, right. If you don't want to be there, we can't keep you. We can't force you. Mm-hmm. So we were we had to let her go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that speaks to the power of grooming, where it, someone it will, will run or delay their help because of whatever they're being fed by their trafficker. Yes, and absolutely. This girl felt like she knew her place. She told me this from her mouth. I know my place. I know that I'm just a hoe. I'm su- that's what I'm supposed to be. She was so well-groomed wow. that she really believed that this was what she was meant to do. And grooming is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Grooming can be very powerful. Um, I've never experienced it in my life, mm-hmm. but I've heard of it enough from those who have experienced it mm-hmm. to feel like I have a good understanding of how, they, how they're groomed. And it happens in so many so many different situations and it's not just sex as we'll i'm sure we'll talk well, about actually i want to go to another form of trafficking that uh that you've actually helped to educate me on and that some people were trafficked for like sports and other activities here could you talk a little bit about what that is and is it the same sort of thing with grooming or something altogether different? um there's a little less grooming involved in the sports trafficking it's more of promises um For example, there were four young Nigerian boys who were promised that if they came to America, they would be given these opportunities to be put in front of these coaches who can help them um, get NBA fame um, or get into a good college or get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, And these promises are made. These young men get to America and there was an example of one young man who rides at the airport mm-hmm. and the coach who greets him says, oh, you're not tall enough. And he just doesn't help him from there. So the young boy was on his own, fresh in America, not knowing what to do, where to go. But because he was too short in this coach's eyes, mm-hmm. then he was no good. Mm-hmm. He was just he was trash. Mm-hmm. Um, four young men from Nigeria, uh, three of them ended up in foster care because they're, they're traffickers who promised them everything, all these things could, did not deliver on anything for them. So they ended up homeless. One of the boys, um, they told him, yes, you can play, but we're going to need $2,000 for Who told you. him? Like this was an NBA this, coach? This or is just a, a, it's not an NBA coach. So this was a lie from the start. It, it was a lie from the start. Okay. Um, very often they do have connections Mm-hmm. Um, to colleges or mm-hmm. high schools with good basketball teams mm-hmm. um, or colleges that will pay them under the table for mm-hmm. a good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, one boy said that he didn't take any classes. And when he, he didn't take any classes for the first six months he was here. Mm-hmm. And when he did take a class, they had him taking tests for football players and uh, just not really learning for himself. He was doing things to help other athletes move forward fraudulently. Um, there was another story of 30 Dominican boys who were brought here by a Baptist church and ended up living in the basement of the church, sleeping on the floor of the gym. So what was the, under what pretense? Under the pretense that they were going to get, uh, tuition into a private school in America where they could have a good education and also play basketball. Okay. Um, it's just, and that was from a, a 2015 Harper's Bazaar. Wow, and, wow. Uh, article. Wow. Um, so but, when they when they get these people here, they're just stuck here. There's no recourse. Can they contact someone to help them get back home to their families, or what happens? Well, y- usually there's 
I mean, of course, with sports trafficking, that's something that doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people aren't even aware of. Well, so, because some, just to play devil's advocate, it sounds like a bad business deal, right? It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really a bad business deal unless you're one of the lucky ones who are chosen by an NFL team or mm-hmm. chosen by a college that will... Uh, very often the colleges will pay the uh, the coach that brought the kid mm-hmm. or there's been instances of kids who have gotten a scholarship or gotten a, a deal with the NBA or Nike or whatever mm-hmm. and then they have to write in the coach that mm-hmm. discovered them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that they can get paid as well. Mm-hmm. Also some of the incentive for some of the people who traffic these young men are jobs with the colleges and as coaches. Um, some of the colleges actually pay the pay the person who discovered the child or brought them to them Mm -hmm. so there's money in it um it's not sex at all Mm -hmm. it's just hey we got you here we're going to sell you if we can't then we're just going to dump you wow 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 so i yeah i just want to jump in really quick too because i think that there are a lot of blurry lines of people understanding the difference between trafficking and exploitation and i would say you know certainly things like sports and you know can be trafficking Mm -hmm. but in the beginning, it's fraud, right? We talked about in the beginning sex trafficking, but trafficking in general sex is, is force, fraud, or coercion. Mm-hmm. So you are frauding somebody to come over. Now, for this to be trafficking, there would have to be an exchange for money. Mm-hmm. So say you do have a, 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 you know, a young man who, who is very athletically inclined, and then they have him go play sports. They mm-hmm. maybe they have to be receiving money for that. Okay. Um, and so, so yeah, there's a, I'm sorry. Right. So there would be an exchange there. And that right. certainly like that certainly takes place. Um, there, a lot of this starts in fraud, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're looking at, uh, you know, people who are, who are uh, coming from outside of the United States. Right. Um, right. But you also see that with a lot of traveling sales crews. You see that with a lot of modeling agencies. Um, so That's these true. are all fraud that are intentionally meant to lure someone um, into a situation that they're not expecting. And then once they get there, uh, because of the lack of control, you imagine somebody coming over from another country and we're going to ask them, well, how come you didn't get away? Well, you don't have your documentation because that's taken from the person who comes to get you and you're told hey well if you do anything they're going to come after you ice is going to come after you and then you're going to go to jail so it's all the game of fear right so and that's what a lot of the grooming is initially it's that developing of a trust and that's going to look different between somebody who really knows the victim which is common Mm -hmm. and then somebody who's coming from outside where it is just a totally fraudulent situation Mm -hmm. and so um i just wanted to kind of clarify a little bit some of some of the the differences there because Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times human smuggling and things like that get the lines. It get all crossed, gets blurred crossed. in. And I think that's why a lot of people are just really confused and don't really know when it becomes illegal, because some of this doesn't sound le- illegal to some people. They especially for people who uh, think of sex workers. And, and we've talked about this a little bit. Um, they blur that with sex trafficking and thinking, well, the people choose to live this lifestyle and they choose to make money this way that's their choice but if we talk about people getting into that as children it's a kind of different discussion yeah absolutely because again you know when we're talking about uh, it's literally impossible i mean there are laws that of of age you know um it is impossible to 
for someone to be commercially exploited as a minor and it not to be trafficking. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And again, you know, that's according to to the federal definition. And again, when it's when when you're looking at like, what does that what does that line look like? Mm -hmm. um, You know, many times people are told, oh, well, this person, they chose to do it. Right. And a lot of times that comes from the buyer. You see that a lot. Well, you know, they're they're empowered by this. Mm -hmm. Um, They're there are definitely situations where people um, people do choose that. Uh, but many times when you have a 16 year old girl who's been groomed by an older boyfriend, mm-hmm. she's brought into it. She's playing the part. Why mm-hmm. is she playing the part? Because she has to bring her pimp or her trafficker money. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't, she gets beaten. So you have these really different dynamics that um, that keep that person bound. There is a lot of fear that mm. takes place. So when you when we say, you know, well, why didn't you do anything? Well, why didn't you get away? Well, why did you choose to do that? We are putting the blame right back on the victim saying, hey, you could have stopped this at any point, but you didn't. Why aren't we looking at, you know, the one who is doing the the fraud, the coercion, the force? I think that's important um, to look at, at that piece. And I, I think that, you know, when we're specifically, when we're talking about sex trafficking, you have somebody who goes from the age of 16, who's groomed into it, 17, 18. Now they're an adult. They get picked up by the police charged with prostitution. And we definitely want to go into that in our second part, because I do want to talk about the criminalization of sex trafficking victims. And I also want to talk about the disparity in care. There seems to be a disparity uh, between it. And I believe you, Katie, and I uh, had talked about this a little bit. Maybe you and I too, Jonathan, I don't recall. But there does seem to be a racial disparity in uh, the care that some people get, the opportunities that people will get as far as getting counseling versus just going straight to jail and having to... uh, having to battle their way through that as well so um, without further ado let's go ahead and break for part one i really appreciate you all talking hopefully you can stick around for part two i just want to go ahead and give us a break and we'll be back shortly Thank you for tuning in to this episode of PointCast. As always, we'd like to encourage you to continue to plug into our social media outlets, Facebook and Twitter, our website at pointcast.news, and we are now on iTunes, so feel free to look at us there as well. 